Good morning. How many of you are so excited about a new parking lot? I mean, come on. Evan, are we going to have yellow lines or white lines? I've been thinking about it like all week. What do I want? We need to like put a pole out or something. Yellow? I don't know. I'm excited. Green and yellow. What do you got on your mind? Good morning. I, I send greetings from Pastor Mark and Suzanne, and, and we've got a chunk of our people today up in the North Woods at a silent retreat. And uh, Pastor Mark and Suzanne uh, for district pastors, uh, pastors all over Wisconsin and northern Michigan, as well as for, for just uh, individuals in the churches, have been leading uh, a silent prayer retreat up north near Hayward, Wisconsin. Uh, I, I know they had a frost about halfway through this little trip of theirs, and um, but they are uh, ending today. Uh, their last session will be coming back this afternoon, and uh, we're, we're excited to have them back, and uh, I know we miss them. Today is, uh, I think it's week four of Joseph, but we've been going through patriarchs who, you know, by definition are kind of fathers of nations, right? And so we talked about Abraham this summer and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. Joseph we're spending a little bit more time on. Scripture spends a little bit more time on Joseph. And uh, it's just nuanced aspects of this guy. And so today we're going to be talking about specifically that he's just that ordinary guy serving an extraordinary God just like all of us. And one thing that made Joseph just like all of us was his suffering. And his suffering through what we could just say injustice. He just didn't have it coming, and yet he experienced the suffering. I read again what Pastor Mitch wrote, read last week, which was Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good for us. It helps us like a map. We can look at people's lives that just chose to follow you and how you showed yourself faithful. And though we all, like Joseph, have these hard times, would you show us maybe a little bit more how to navigate these days? Lord, not only in a way that honors you, but in a way, Lord God, that shows where our faith lies. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to a high school that was kind of large, so our graduating class was about 450. It was a big class. Um, we had a lot of great athletes in, in, our, in our school at one time. Uh, we had one guy who went professional football, uh, so he went to Iowa, and then he went on to play for the Seahawks. It helps when you're about 310 when you're a sophomore in high school. Uh, he was a big boy. Uh, and, then, and then we had another guy, one grade above me, uh, Tony Bennett, who went on to play professionally, now he's the coach at Virginia, great athlete, amazing athlete. Uh, and then also my high school uh, in my grade was a guy named Steve Stricker, who's a great golfer, right? And so I was surrounded by amazing athletes growing up in, in high school, uh, a high school of about 1,600 students, and I was not one of them. <laughs> I, I ran cross-country, I played a ton of basketball in college, uh, not, not on the team, but just played a lot of intramural. And I ran some cross-country. Um, 
And, and I was good at cross country. I, I weighed 138 pounds from, from the time I was a freshman until the day I got married. I didn't, I didn't deviate one bit. I've deviated since, but I, from that time period, 138, right? And, and I ran cross country, and, and here's the thing that I realized about cross country. It hurts. It hurts, right? So I stopped cross country. Um, but I was talking just recently with Josh, uh, Josh Larson. Where are you, Josh Larson? You're back there hiding behind Vitaly. He just ran a marathon. That's pretty awesome, huh? Yeah. How many, how many in the room have run a marathon? Anybody else? Well, two of you guys. Good on you. Right? I, uh, I haven't done it. Don't plan to. I've run a few 10Ks along the way. Um, and, and they talk about something. And I asked Josh about it actually in a text this week as I was prepping. Like, hey, did you hit this time of euphoria? He said, yeah, from like mile one till mile 13, he was just in this, this point of euphoria running. I think he's a liar. <laughs> I've never hit that. Like, I, when I was running, I've never hit this point like, oh, this is perfect. I love this. This is great. No pain. You know? I never hit it. And I actually think that it's something that the shoe companies have put together. Right? That buy the new shoes and run enough, sometime you're going to hit that place of just euphoria. Everything feels good. I've never had that. But have you ever noticed that life is kind of has these seasons of euphoria? Uh, I remember sitting down with uh, Pastor Mark and April Burkholder just, just a month or two ago and just, just talking to them. They just, are adop- they just adopted their baby girl. And I said, you're kind of in a sweet spot. And April said, yeah, I've got everything I've ever hoped for, and, and just kind of that sweet spot. And, and sometimes we go there, right, where we're like, this is a great thing, the great season I'm in. I got, maybe I got the new job, and family's doing well, and, and maybe we don't notice it until we sit back and think about it, like, yeah, we're kind of in a good place. Or, or maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, I've never had that. Now, there is another part of the marathon that I know of pretty well, and it's called the wall. And I asked, I asked, did you, did you hit a wall, Josh? Josh says, yeah, I hit a wall. Dave, you, you ran a man. Did you hit a wall? Mile what? 16. You said 18, right? You hit this wall where your body just says, uh-uh. We're done. We're done. Physically, mentally, emotionally. It, it takes something to get through because you're like, this is more than I was expecting. More than I trained for, more than I hoped for. And there's all kinds of different things you can do to burst through that wall. It takes a lot of diligence, a lot of work. And even though maybe not all of us understand the euphorias of life, I think we all understand the walls of life. We all understand these moments where it's like, yeah, it could be better. Unexpected things happen where our lives come come into this time of challenge and it just feel like, come on, I've had enough. Today we're going to be looking at, 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 at Joseph because our passages spend a lot of time looking at the fact that Joseph went through the hard times. And interestingly enough, besides the, the fact that often Joseph doesn't know when to shut up, 
right? All the rest of it, he really didn't deserve it, right? He, he really didn't deserve it. And we understand today as we're going to be looking at Joseph, one of our patriarchs, that suffering happens to everyone. Suffering happens to everyone. Now the degree and the breath may vary, but it doesn't skip anybody. I think it's really interesting, and, and as a pastor, I get to know probably more people than ever, anybody else in the room because we reach out, we connect in a lot of different ways during the week as well for some. So I know some of your stories, but not most of your stories. A lot of your stories are unique. Do you ever think that you really don't know what the person next to you is going through? The person behind you, the pe- person on the other side of the room? What you can guarantee is we've all experienced hardship. It's kind of just the reality of living on this earth, that we all have those times. And part of having those hard times is we are prone to comparison. We're prone to look at other people. Sometimes we think of the word coveting, which is one of the big Ten Commandments. When we hope for something, we think of like cars or houses or or cruises or trips or something like that, that we want something somebody else has. But I think equally so, we can kind of covet somebody else who doesn't have the hardship we have. Like, how, how come everything bad happens to me and not to them? It's not fair that I have it so hard and they have it so easy. What did I do to deserve this? And coveting just like wanting the car or the new truck or the land up north is just as much as coveting what somebody else doesn't have. I wish my life was a little easier. I wish all of our lives were a little easier. We look at Joseph, and we'll start with him and his suffering, rejected by his family. Now, we all know that Family issues come and go, right? His were maybe a little bit more advanced than the rest of us. Now, we all have family issues, and holidays are coming, and they get a little bit bigger on holidays, right, sometimes. But for Joseph, literally to have your brothers to sell you into slavery, that's next-level stuff. It's really hard to go to Thanksgiving on a day like that, right? I mean, right? there's a little bit of baggage there. Now, this is the season in which he didn't know what to, when to shut up, and he, w- he talked about a vision that he had that someday he would be basically overseeing them, lording over his family, and they didn't take that very well. And here he is, family struggles. He experienced slavery, a life in which he had no choices. All his choices were taken away, and although he flourished, as Pastor Mitch talked about last week, Uh, about growing where you're planted, even if it's hard. Sometimes it feels like we're trapped. Trapped by choices, trapped by situations, trapped by a a, a dead-end job, trapped by our physical bodies. He was trapped. Also, false accusations came against him, and he had done everything right. He went into Potiphar's house, and, and he had blessed them, and he had... He had done well to lead that family. He did nothing wrong. And yet a false accusation came against him. He lost everything. Potiphar's wife, when he did not say yes to her advances. Have you ever felt like I did everything right and it still went wrong? I did every, that, that truly is the definition of, an, of injustice. 
when we did nothing to deserve it, and yet it, it still goes wrong. For Joseph, the loss there was huge because he goes not only from slavery now to prison, a greater level in which even though he helps others, he's forgotten. He's left nowhere. He knew suffering. And yet, as we talked about last week, he grew right where he was in the midst of his suffering. He decided, I'm not going to let it hold me back. I want to go on to Paul in the New Testament. We're going to look at Joseph, we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to look at a modern-day character as well. Paul's suffering is very unique. He went through a lot when he chose to follow Jesus. He walked away from a lifestyle of rejecting Jesus and even being combative towards his people to a life where he's fully committed to serving Jesus and his church. And he goes through hard times that I think, I think they trump all of us. 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23. I've been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger of the sea, in danger of the false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the church. So we have Joseph, man, he goes through hard times. Paul says, yeah, look at mine. Yeah, hello, right? I haven't been shipwrecked once yet, three times. His, his repertoire of suffering is, is pretty advanced. It's high level. So, so he's saying, I've experienced hard times. I've experienced difficulty. So we see Joseph in the Old Testament. We see Paul in the New Testament. Let's talk about another guy, actually not a believer in Jesus, never became one. Uh, a man by the name of Victor Frankl. Has anybody ever heard that name before, Victor? Victor, in 1942, he and his family uh, were sent to concentration camp where he and his father, where, where his father perished. And in 1944, uh, the surviving Frankls were sent to Auschwitz. He was separated from his wife, who later uh, passed away in another concentration called, camp called Bergen-Belsen. Interestingly enough for Victor, as he was in Auschwitz, he was a trained psychiatrist. And so he, he experienced some of the greatest pain and suffering of life, but he used it as a moment of observation and later wrote what is, I, I just think it's a, it's a wonderful book, a wonderful read called Man's Search for Meaning. And Victor goes through the first half of his, his book just going over his experiences in Auschwitz and his observations of people in suffering. And then the second half is what is known as logotherapy and his process that he used later in his uh, psychiatric work. 
But one of the observations he had was the role of hope in the average person in the camp. He said they, they'd go through seasons in which everybody would start talking about a specific theme, like just over in the next village there's another camp, concentration camp where all of our wives are. And they'd all start talking about that and get excited, and they'd be talking about, if I can just see through the woods, maybe I can see the other fence. Maybe I can just get a glimpse of my wife. And that hope inside of them would go up, and then they would find out that there's nothing there. And it crushed them. Uh, later, they would talk about how there was this thing that went through the camp during the year that, that the war was going to be over by Christmas. And this was a pretty common thing that happened among soldiers. But for those in Auschwitz, uh, daily working very hard, often living on just a, a little bit of bread and a little bit of broth, he'd go through his, his eating pattern, he'd go through his work pattern in the book. Um, the hope of Christmas was something that everybody had. It's going to be over by Christmas, and it's going to be over by Christmas. But in his book, he's talking with the doc, the camp doctor, uh, another, another inmate, and he, he, he says it this way. The death rate in the week between Christmas 1944 and New Year's 1945 increased in camp beyond all previous experience. In his opinion, the explanation for this increase did not lie in harder working conditions or the deterioration of our food supplies or the change of weather or new epidemics. It was simply that the majority of the prisoners had lived in the naive hope that they would be home again by Christmas. As the time drew near and there was no encouraging news, the prisoners lost courage and disappointment overcame them this had a dangerous influence on their power of resistance, and a great number of them died. As we said before, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. And he quotes Nietzsche here, He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Frankel's observation is there was a component that that the men around him had that could, they could live on, and that if individuals had a hope beyond the camp, they'd survive. But the moment that the hope was taken away, it's almost like they lost the breath in their lungs. They lost the thing to overcome. The observation was uh, he'd have individuals come into the camp, strong people, strong people who worked with their hands, ruddy, he called them, just these strong individuals who died very quickly. But then there were other individuals, people of faith, people of a commitment of an inner life that just seemed to sustain because there was something inside of them that regardless of the suffering regardless of the situation, had a way to overcome. Let me read you another quote. He who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. 
to a man who never had faith in Jesus Christ is reflecting upon what we call hope in Jesus. You see, regardless of the circumstances that we have, we've had occasion for ourselves to observe other people who've had it harder, who for some reason can go through their suffering with some contentment and some joy that just allows us all to scratch our heads. Where does that come from? Where does that sense of hope come from? What Viktor Frankl is saying, what what Paul says, what Joseph lived, is that hope is essential to make it through. Hope in God's power. You know, he can change the circumstances. He can turn situations around. We've all seen it. It's what we pray for. We pray for miracles. We pray for change. And if, if there are things that we can't change, God does. He has a way of coming and giving us hope that the situation can change because he's done it before and he'll do it again. So we have hope in God's power. And I encourage you that hope in God's power just does not look like Eeyore. How many of you guys know who Eeyore is? Right? How many of you occasionally live the lifestyle of Eeyore? I've been there. Come on. I've been there. E is for Eeyore, who often feels gloomy, right? Hope is not in the repertoire of Eeyore, right? Hope says that, yeah, I may be going through hard times, but my hope is beyond my circumstances. So hope is in God's power. Hope is in God's strength. Now I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is Paul again. Interestingly enough, this is just a few verses after that list of Paul's circumstances. Remember, this many times flogged, this many times uh, beaten with rocks, this many times shipwrecked, this, this many times left nude just in the middle of nowhere, just this many times starving to death, all of the things that Paul went through. And then he comes up with the audacity to write this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen, if there's anybody who knows what it means to lean on Jesus, it's Paul. Remember, his suffering, far greater than any of ours, far greater than any of our lists. And he says, whoa, God's grace is sufficient. His strength is there for us. And just as important in the hope that is essential for our lives is for a hope in a preferred future. Romans 8. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Pains of childbirth. Doesn't it feel like the world is like that? The groanings of this world. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The hope that really is something that should drive us is not only the hope that God would change our circumstances, not only the hope that God would give us strength, just like Paul said, his grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. It is made strong in you, God but also a hope that says all of this is going to pass away. Jesus is coming back. 
there, there's ebbs and flows in themes within the church, cycles within the church. And I, I've been around long enough, maybe some of you have as well, where there, some things are emphasized a little bit more for a couple years within the church, and then it's emphasized a little different a few years later. But we can't emphasize enough that there needs to be a hope inside of us that Jesus is coming back. That just as Revelations chapter 20 tells us, there's coming a time when there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more loss. Jesus is coming back. And regardless of the suffering of this earth, that hope should be enough. Hope is essential to make it through. Jesus understands our suffering. Do you know there's a difference between Empathy and sympathy, I, I didn't understand it for years. Sympathy, it really does understand what somebody else is going through. Empathy, we have a heart connection of shared experience. I've been through it, I know what you're going through. And we can relate on a higher level. And Jesus can do that with us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider quality or just the power of God, quality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He chose to give up those powers and come to earth as humanity. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. When we are going through the hardest things of life, when injustice comes, I did not deserve this, I don't deserve this, why am I experiencing this? Jesus understands. Jesus can relate. Jesus did not deserve the cross. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't deserve the penalty of sin. He chose it. He chose it so that we could have life eternal. We could be free from sin. We could have a hope of what is to come. And he chose it so he can relate with us. You might be thinking, nobody understands what I'm going through. Jesus does. Jesus understands exactly what you're going through here, here, circumstances of life. If there's one person you can talk to about this that truly understands what you're going through, it's him. He understands. We began today with a season of just reflecting upon Jesus in communion, reflecting upon his suffering, and seeing that in that suffering, something amazing happened. And that is that all of this suffering that Joseph had, all the injustices around us that we get so frustrated with, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. And soon, very soon, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to end in a time of song together. It's a new song that you haven't heard before. So that's why we're going to have a little bit of a time where we can kind of practice it together. But before we do, I want us to take a moment to read 2 Corinthians 4, 
Again, Paul continues his writing about hard times. A man who maybe has a doctorate in hard times. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Some of us may have an experience where we've lost heart. We feel like giving up. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Regardless of what's happening on the outside, can we, like Viktor Frankl's observation, be some of those individuals that could walk around the hardest place this world has ever put together and have hope? Could we be renewed day by day with something inside of us that it's a hope that says, regardless, there's something more that this world can't touch, that these circumstances can't get to. I refuse to let them because my hope is in Jesus and it's being renewed day by day by day. Contradictory verse. For our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> Maybe some of us, it's light and momentary. Some, some, some of us, it feels more, but he's trying to bring perspective. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The light and momentary troubles. That what is coming, the glory we're about to experience when Jesus returns, when all that's coming, guess what, guys? It's going to far outweigh the very worst this world had to offer. That's hope. So, transition words. So, we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 